0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. Thank you for tuning in. I always appreciate everything you guys are able to do in that respect. Uh, I know there's a lot of MMA content out there, and I know you put up with some of my technical difficulties over the last couple of weeks. Not last week, but the few before that, so I thank you very, very much as always. Please let me get the boilerplate out of the way. Like, comment, subscribe if you've done any and all of that. Star rating, written review, whatever's applicable. Share if you've if that's what's left. Share the individual episode, share the show in general. If you know someone you think might enjoy it, or if you just want me to annoy one of your friends. So if you're newer here, I know that I know my numbers have been a little bit fluctuating in that respect, so I think there's new people coming in, but it might also be how things are being reported. Who knows? The algorithm reporting this might be well, the machine learning algorithms, uh, they they scare me. And they should scare you because they control way, way too much. It's not me being conspiracy minded. That's just kind of a fact of life in the digital age. Who knows? So anything you can do to help that in that respect, uh, always appreciated. If you're new, welcome. I hope your friend recommended to me to you in good faith and that I am not here just to annoy you. But if I am going to just annoy you, please at least listen to one episode. It would would m- mean a lot to me. So, On the agenda tonight, what do we got? Last night, UFC and ESPN 42, a six and a half hour freaking event. I'll yell about that. I'm not actually going to yell, but I will express my displeasure. Uh, what else do we got? We had a pretty big weekend in combat sports, actually. we had um, One was back on Prime Video. Uh, Some boxing events went down, some of which are kind of relevant, Uh, and I don't mind talking boxing every now and then. Uh, So we got some stuff from the Combat Sports Weekend to talk about this coming week, the last pay-per-view of 2022, and in fact, the penultimate UFC event all year, there's one more after this, but UFC 282, and it's poor, poor cobbled-together card, um... We'll talk about that more in detail. I talked a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago when the news broke, but we'll, again, we'll get specific here. So we'll preview that and then talk news like, well, the UFC facing issues with regulators. Boy, that's uh, boy, that's going to be something. All right, a lot to get through. Hopefully, we're not going to take forever and a day to do it. I'll right, stop with UFC on ESPN 42. Again... This fight lost. Uh, this event lost a fight, actually. Um, uh, we were supposed to have Amanda Hebos and Tracy Cortez. That fight fell apart due to some medical issue. And they were still hurting for time. Like, not hurting, but they were rushing for time on this. Um, if you did not get a finish, you did got did not get an interview on the entire like prelims. How many fights were on this thing? When it was all said and done, let me count. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, 14. Yes, we originally had 15 fights here. I've been saying that for a long time, man. That's just too many fights. That's just too many fights. Again, this thing was like six and a half hours long. This event started at 5 my time and ended at 1130. I feel bad for people on the East Coast. Like, that main event started at 1 in the morning. Uh, This was a slog. Like, there were some good fights. There were some good moments on this card. I'm not burying the action in its entirety. We got some good stuff here. But it's it's just too much. Just a slog, man. It stops meaning anything after a while. It was just a pain to get through. Ugh. So, with that out of the way, your main event... Uh, Stephen Thompson and Kevin Holland turned in a late fight of the year contender. I don't think this quite... This isn't going to surpass... I have Because I have to talk about this guy in a little bit. Uh, apparently... We've all kind of been pronouncing, not this should not surprise anyone, but we've been pronouncing Yirri Prohachka's name wrong. His first name is actually pronounced Yeezy, um, because of how the accents of some of the letters work, like, but it's J-I-R-I, well, again, accents and Czech language. Uh, the last name we've been pretty close on, Prohachka. But, so yeah, Yeezy Prohachka. So Yeezy and, uh, so yeah, uh, Prohachka and Tishera. That fight is probably still your fight of the year, but Thompson and Holland here turned in a worthy addition to that discussion. Um, really good fight. Early, Thompson comes out southpaw and starts getting some of the timing on Holland. He's landing the left hand and when Holland tries to close distance. They're both landing some calf kicks, some side kicks, more kicks from Thompson than Holland, which wound up being a big deal. Then the turning point in that round, Thompson goes orthodox, kind of near the fence, and they trade rights. But Holland has a bit more power. He's also bigger. Like, he was taller. He's longer. He's got this, like, very long... He's got this absurd reach. Uh, He lands better, and he hurts Thompson. He looks to kind of flurry and capitalize. Thompson survives, gets back to work... Uh, Doesn't win the round, but survives. Second round is a much better round for Thompson. He's kicking a lot. He's throwing head kicks. He's throwing body kicks. Some of them are blocked. Some of them are kind of getting through. Um, The head kicks in particular, they're not necessarily getting through. But when you're blocking a high kick, there's a couple of things you want to do. Um, And Holland only, he wasn't really doing them. He had his right hand, so again, his rear hand. He had it up. So that was kind of absorbing a lot of it. Which turned out not to be a great thing because he broke his right hand on that punch that he landed on Thompson's forehead in the first round that hurt Stephen Thompson. And these kicks aren't helping anything. But when you're blocking a high kick, you want to get your arms a little bit away from your head. You need The whole thing about blocking kicks, especially like high kicks... If we want to break down the physics of this, you're trying to diffuse the force, right? The energy coming at you, you're trying to get rid of the force. And there's a finite number of ways that energy like this is absorbed and distributed. And uh, the one you kind of want to help with is you want to apply some resistance. If you can get out of the way entirely, that's obviously best. If you can't, you need to put some distance between the stuff you're trying to protect and the source of damage like again, the mass coming at you, the force. So you want to get your hands away from your body when they first make impact. So you get not only the, so you get the resistance of your arms, your shoulders, your musculature kind of pushing back, and you have time and space between your head and the again, the force, the energy coming at you. So you want to usually you try to get both hands up. And uh Benny Orcades, the kind of uh kickboxing full contact karate. if you're not familiar with Benny, uh I would encourage you to look up his stuff cuz Benny Orcades uh he was the man. He's still really awesome. Like he's older now, but he's got a he, he still teaches. He's got his own style. Uh, I mean Technically speaking, anyone who has a studio has their own style because you're always going to be a little bit different than where you came from. But I, 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 and he's not telling. He doesn't have a mystic secret to blocking head kicks, but the way he describes it, I, I like. Um, he, he says you kind of want to get your knuckles together. So if I've got my right hand up, the back of my hand, and I'm orthodox, the back of my hand is facing out. You bring your left hand over, palm facing outward. And you want to have your knuckles lined up a little bit like you're gripping a baseball bat if you play baseball. And this lets that lead hand, the left hand kind of take a little bit of the impact. You can kind of move, guide the, the energy up or down a little bit. And then that's supporting the rear hand, and you get that a little bit away from your body so it hits. You can resist a bit with your arms and... The energy is diffused via the space that, you, that it still has to travel before potentially making contact with your head. And if you've got a good, strong guard, then all they hit is your arms. And your arms might still break, but a broken arm is infinitely better than a broken head. And Holland was only getting one hand up. And it was a damaged hand, so that a lot of that energy is still making contact. What does Boss Rutten say about this? Like, if your hand is just against your head and a kick's coming in, all you've got, basically, is like a focus mitt... I mean, you don't even like a full tie pad at that point, which you can actually argue the validity of tie pads because you can argue anything in the world of martial arts. But you know, if you take again, again a focus mitt and you just like duct taped it to your head, would you then be okay taking a head kick? Like, you, don't get me wrong, it's probably a little bit better than not having it, but you still want to do something about that. And those kicks were just kind of starting to get through to Holland a little bit. Uh, The left hand was a big problem for Holland as well. Once Thompson got a better feel for his timing, he was splitting it constantly. Anytime Kevin Holland is trying to close distance, here comes Thompson with a left hand, intercepting him, cracking him. Uh, And this just gets worse as time goes on. Second round... A lot more body work from Thompson in the the third round, rather. Sorry, not the second round. Second round goes to Thompson. Third round, Holland is still having some moments in these rounds. Um, He's still landing some good jabs. The right hand being hurt is a problem for him. And he's actively avoiding grappling with Thompson. Like, they slip and they fall down a few times. And Holland just stands back up like, no, I don't want top position. Come on. Uh, third round things start swinging a bit heavier in favor of Thompson. He lands this really nasty body kick, uh, kind of towards the end of that round. The end of the third round's not a great spot for Holland. Thompson blitzes him, gets him on the fence, uh, and yeah, he hits this body kick, and you can see, like, Holland starts backing up a little bit, like, he didn't like that. Fourth round is all Wonderboy. Uh, Thompson just has his way in that round. He lands kicks to the body, to the head. Landed some, lands some good punches. Holland at one point is—he's visibly hurt. Um, I don't know exactly what's wrong, but he's not moving. He just kind of puts himself on the fence. And all right, come on, bring it on. Uh, so he'd take again. He'd taken some nasty body work. He's been kicked in the head. His right hand's busted. He eats a wheel kick at one point that is just like Thompson's heel just straight up connects with his temple. Uh, it's just, and he never falls over, man. Kevin Holland is other. We knew this after his UFC debut when he steps in on short notice and fights Thiago Santos and goes the distance. Like that man is tough. Uh, and he takes some. He takes a pretty serious beating in the fourth round. I actually went ten eight. I think most people did. After that round, uh, Holland gets back to his corner and he says, you know, I'm done. My hand's busted. Like, this, this isn't happening. His corner agrees with him. They stop it right away. Serious kudos to the corner for this one. There was no need for that to keep going. Um, they clashed heads at one point. Thompson wound up cutting it. I, I make that sound like, you know, the rounds, rounds two and three, which Thompson won and it, again, it kept getting worse for Kevin Holland. But two and three were still... They were fun. They were fun rounds. Holland's able to find punches throughout that. You know, Thompson's face is bruised up. He's cut. Uh, There's a clash of heads at one point that opens up another cut on him. Like, he had one around his left eyebrow that I think happened in the first round. Uh, He gets one kind of more in the middle of his forehead between his eyes from their heads knocking together in round... Was that in round three? I think it was three. And... It was two or three, I can't remember which one, so forgive me, but one of those rounds. So, it's not like Kevin Holland had no success here. He, This was a really, really fun fight. If you didn't see this one, look it up. This is absolutely worth your time to watch. It's a fun fight. Uh, good win for Steven Thompson. I, I picked against him, but I said I was rooting for him. Uh, yeah, this was just fun. I... Can we please, look, Stephen Thompson is almost 40. He'll be 40, like, in a month. Can we please stop booking him against wrestlers, please? Look, he's not going to contend for a title, not at his age. Can we just get more fights like this for his last, you know, handful of fights? Is it that hard to match him up against guys who allegedly are going to strike with him? Again, how long that lasts once they start fighting, who knows. But we could have fights like this on a slightly more regular basis from him. So can we stop putting him against, you know, these tough grinders who are near the top of the division like Gilbert Burns? I don't need to see that. You know, we know the guy's not much longer for... Again, he's going to be 40 very shortly. He's been training since he was a small child. He's been competing on the... Again, like, you can dispute his kickboxing... Uh, some of his kickboxing accomplishments because some of the organizations that he kind of cites and are, like, they're really me, Like, they're not the most reputable. But he still went out there and he was still beating guys. You know, so he's been doing this for a long time. I, I mean, just, just for the record. Like, there was somebody who said, you know, Stephen Thompson's kickboxing record was like 50-0, which, okay. Like, I can believe that he did that. Alex Pereira's kickboxing record is like, stop. Look. Alex Pereira fought world-class opposition in some of the best organizations the sport has to offer. I like Stephen Thompson. But... Some of the organizations, uh, these, you know, sanctioning bodies and whatnot, like, I'm not saying they're completely disreputable, but he never kickboxed at, you know, anything close to the glory level, by way of example. You know, he fought in, you know, some kickboxing and like full contact karate stuff and whatnot, and I'm not saying that's easy, especially if you're doing it consistently, that's still hard, but it's not what, you know, Pereira was doing. Uh, the the point there, sorry, being Thompson's been doing this for a long time and he's almost 40. Like, he may as well be 40. Like, it's, it's that close to his birthday. Like, he's 40. So, let's just match make him in a way that provides entertaining fights for the last few that he's getting... For the last, you know, four or five that he's going to have, please. I don't... We don't need... We don't need Wonder Boy and, you know... These like I don't need to see Stephen Thompson and Kamzad. I don't need to see Stephen Thompson and Shavkat Rachmanov. Yeah, I, these are just things we don't need. So please, let's not match make him in a fan friendly style, and we can get stuff that's more like this. Thank you, appreciate it. As far as Holland goes, um, we have an injury update. Uh, I believe this comes from Holland's manager or, you know, people around him. He broke the, uh, was it the third, fourth, and fifth metacarsals? So that, those are the bones in your hand. Not the fingers, but, like, the actual, like, bones in your hand. And uh, three, four, and five is, I believe, like, middle ring and pinky. Five is pinky, four is middle, uh, is ring finger. Yeah, they count, they count from the thumb in, I believe. Certainly the way it was swelling up, that's that's what I look... They posted a picture, not of the x-rays, but of the swelling on his hand. And... I would assume it's those last... It would be those last three. Um, and again, I'm pretty sure they count... Again, thumb is one, then you get like two, three. They only count four, and thumb is different. Oh, that was fifth. So like... Yeah, three, four, and five. I say two, three, and five? I might have misspoke there. Anyway. Yeah, so three, four, and five. And the bones are displaced, so surgery for him. Um, hope he recovers quickly. You know, it, your hands can be delicate things for fighters. You know, some fighters just, once your hands start having issues, uh, they never fully recover. You know, Floyd Mayweather had hand issues for a long period of his career. Fedor had hand problems. A lot of fighters have had this, so... Hopefully it doesn't derail him too badly. This was a lot of fun, so my hat's off to both guys. This event needed something to kind of wake everyone up by the time the main event rolled around, and... This did it, so good on both of them. Uh, This was your fight of the night, deservedly so. So, Good main event. Good fight. A lot of fun there. Co-main event. We're going to go a little bit faster through some of these. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos defeats Brian Barbarina via neck crank. Rear naked choke, neck crank, uh, 320 of the second. So, sorry, that uh, Thompson Holland was stopped between rounds four and five. Um, this one, just RDA doing RDA things. Um, I have, in the past, likened uh, Rafael Dos Anjos to someone like Ezra Charles or Jersey Joe Walcott. You might be going, wait, who are those guys? Which is kind of the point. Um, both of those gentlemen are former heavyweight boxing champions, and Charles, in particular, um, a wonderful technician. And a, again, these are so was Walcott. I don't mean to disparage Walcott. I bring up Ezra Charles in particular because um, people in the know know how good Ezra Charles was. The problem is he's he's kind of a forgotten great. If you want to know how good Ezra Charles was, to all my boxing people out there, um, when James Tony, young James Tony, was on the come up, like when he was learning to box and starting to, you know, his primary, the primary guy that he was sat down and told, watch this guy. This is a thing that boxers do. You know, if you're training and you have someone that like, has a style or has a element of their game that you want them to really kind of absorb, you make them watch it. You make them study tape, and they can kind of see what's going on. Uh, James Tony, when he was young, was given to study Ezra Charles. And if you know how good James Tony was, especially defensively, he was a marvel. Like that's how good Ezra Charles was, and he's just kind of forgotten in the landscape of MMA. I mean, he actually said it in his post fight speech here like I in this building like 6 years ago I defended the lightweight title against Donald Cerrone Which he did stopped Cerrone in the first round And, like on the prelims of that card I think both Usman I think both Kamaru Usman and Francis Ngannou fought on the prelims of that event let me double check that I know at least one of them did yeah they both did Fran- that was uh that was Ngannou's UFC debut actually uh and then Usman was... Usman beat Leon Edwards. The first fight between Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards was that card. Uh, and here's still Dos Anjos. You know, all those years later, those two guys went on to become champions. Usman, a very successful champion. You're Not to disparage Nganou at all. But, you know, Usman, like, was knocking on the door of GSP discussion. And again, has done what he's done. He's been very... Like, and Dos Andres is still here and he's still taking names. Uh, so good for him. He called out Conor McGregor. You know, he said, <laughs> we were supposed to fight six years ago. Then I got a broken foot and then you avoided me p- after, going, uh, after that. So you got a couple of months to get off all of that crap that you were on for your movie role and then I'll fight you at Welterweight. Now oh, this was a Welterweight fight. You know, I, again, I like Dos Anjos. He's a no-nonsense guy, but he's been around forever. He's a technician. He's a pressure fighter. He's really good. I would like to see him start getting the the recognition he deserves. I don't think he will, but I'd love to see it. Uh, yeah, Dos Anjos is, again, he's really good. And whether or not Connor can even make welterweight at this point with all the crap he's on. And look, let me say this about Connor. Um, He had that pretty horrific leg break and normally a steroid regiment to kind of help facilitate the repair of a break like that, it's, it's just a thing. And whether you like Conor McGregor or not, he should be allowed to have the best medical care that he can, like, that shouldn't be a controversial proposition. And he's making a movie and everyone in Hollywood is on steroids or something similar. And I'm sorry if that shocks or offends you, but look at some of those people, look at how quickly they put on muscle, and to be clear, you still have to work hard. Like You can take all the steroids you want. If you're not in the gym and watching your diet, it's not actually going to matter that much. So there's still a lot of effort being put into that, but everyone in Hollywood is on something. You don't gain muscle mass at that rate naturally. Sorry. Yeah, I mean Zach Efron came out and mentioned what he was doing for his Baywatch physique because he was in that crappy Baywatch movie with The Rock. Like that poor guy, he's on a diuretic pretty constantly because every the vast majority of that movie he has to be shirtless. And if you're shirtless for a camera scene, like you're gonna be cutting weight. Like this is a very common thing actually if you look at um, actors. If they've got, you know, those big, you like them on the poster and in the trailer and whatnot, those big shirtless scenes where they just kind of flex and yell, like Hugh Jackman does these. Uh, You know, any of them. Like, those scenes are brief. They're brief by design so that the actor doesn't have to try and do them multiple times. or do whole scenes that way, looking like that. Most of them cut weight. Like you, you, okay, your big shirtless scene is coming up. All right, so for the next day, I'm going to drink minimal water, if any. I'm going to hit the sauna. I'm going to, you know, again, I'm going to cut like two to three pounds of water weight. The water is then sucking again. That's what you do. It pops the muscles visually. Do the scene and then immediately just like you've seen. I assume you've all if you're listening to this, you've seen what fighters do when they get off the scale, right? Like there's some coach right there with whatever their rehydrate, whatever their drink is. Um, what again? Whatever it happens to be, it's usually a little bit different for all of them, and it's not just straight water. There's a lot of stuff that has to kind of go into that. They just here and those you know, poor fighters that have just spent the last, you know, three days cutting 15 pounds, 20 pounds. Well, 20 would be a bit much. But like, you know, cutting certainly 10. Now that 10 pretty standard actually for that many days. Just, please give me the water I need to... My body needs to rehydrate. This is... I'm literally killing myself. Actors do that. Not to that extreme, but... To get those shots, that's a pretty common practice. In addition to strict dieting and whatnot. So, Connor's going to be in a movie, and he's got to look a certain way for that movie. Yeah, again, I'm not even... Is that like my gripe with steroids at this point is just if you break the rules under which you agree to compete? Otherwise, I don't care. And I think it's stupid that people care as much as they do. People don't look like Chris Hemsworth if they're clean. Sorry, he's he works hard. If you look at his workout stuff, like the man puts time in the gym. But uh, his like yeah, you can look like Thor if you follow this program. Like sorry, no, be bull bs detector you know my at this point as far as hollywood goes and actors my only issue is when you guys lie about it here's here's a little trick if you want to know whether or not a guy's lying about being on stuff they will say i ate so much you know they say like a brown rice and chicken and broccoli and most of the time, guys, that's BS. It's just easy to remember. Like, that that's almost a code word for them to say. Like, So, were you on steroids? No, no, just, you know, boiled chicken, brown rice, and broccoli. It's easy to remember, and I'm sure that is part of their diet. No doubt it is. But if you actually look at what you need to do, especially the guys who we are talking about, like boy, I eat so many thousand calories a day. Then you look at, so how much chicken and brown rice are you eating, buddy? It, it doesn't add up. Like, They're... Again, my issue is when they lie about it. That's my only issue. So, Connor potentially getting clean and coming back. He's not going to fight Dos Anjos either way. Because connor has got like two fights left at most would be my guess. And he's going to try and find some bigger money fish than Rafael Dos Anjos at this point. Alright, moving on. Flyweight. Uh Mateus Nikolau. He looked pretty good here. Beats Matt Schnell via knockout punches. 144 of the second. A lot of second round finishes last night, actually. Um bit of a slower fight. Nicolau kind of content to circle. Get a read on Schnell. Schnell kept coming forward. Uh Nicolau dropped him with a left hook in the first. Uh wound up getting him out of there in the second. Started timing right hands, letting Schnell come forward and then countering. Nikolau is good. Um, with the exit of Askar Askarov from the UFC and whatnot, uh, Nikolau might be your next guy. You know, his only loss in the UFC is to Dustin Ortiz. He's on a six-fight winning streak at this point. With some pretty good names, actually. You know, his last three have been Tim Elliott, former title challenger, David Dvorak, who's was undefeated in the UFC to that point and had a really long winning streak, actually. Like, almost 10-year... He had a 10-year winning streak. His last loss was May of 2012. So, almost exactly 10 years, because they fought in March. So, Dvorak's no joke, and then Schnell here, and Schnell's a certainly respectable name. He's probably still got to have one more fight before being in the title picture, but... You know, the flyweight division is going to have to move on from Figueredo and Moreno at some point, and Nikolaj's looking good. Heavyweights, um, I need—it's time I reevaluate this gentleman. Sergey Pavlovich defeated Tai Tuivasa via knockout um, punches, 54 seconds of the first round. If you'll recall what I said. I said Pavlovich is a headhunter, and I think that that might play too much into Tuivasa's strengths, because you can stop Tuivasa with strikes, but it's kind of a process. I stand by all of that, by the way. A couple of things I didn't properly account for. First up, Sergei Pavlovich hits really hard. <laughs> Just needs to be said, like, even for, by heavyweight standards, that guy has, he's got some bricks in his hands. That's a powerful puncher. Second point of consideration his reach Sergey Pavlovich has like an 82-inch reach that's got long arms and related to that point number 3 you, you might miss this unless you really pay attention to what Pavlovich is doing I did like I after this I went back and rewatched some of his other fights Pavlovich is actually very good at reading distance. And having, a, again, a stupidly long arm reach is a component of that, but he's very good at it. it it's subtle. Like he's not doing what some of the lighter weight guys do when they've got good a uh, good read on distance. But he doesn't get hit on the counter a whole lot. He's good about knowing where he is relative to you. He's good about slipping. He's good about countering. And he's, again, he's just very good about knowing, okay, I'm at the very end of your punch, and I've got enough room to hit you. And that is a very impressive skill to have. If you've got that dialed in, that speaks well of your fighting ability. You bring all this together and you get what we got here. Still a lot of headhunting from Pavlovich, but between the power and his ability to kind of read the range and then avoid Tuivasa swinging back at him. Tuivasa did crack him a couple of times, to his credit. But this went bad for Tuivasa, and it went bad in a hurry. Uh, He got dropped a couple of times before being pounded out. Pavlovich dude his only career loss is his ufc debut coming over from i think the m1 promotion we were their champion and in his ufc debut he fought alistair over and he kind of got tied up and taken down and then over pounded him out from top position pavlovich is re- he's the real deal um i i had to seriously reevaluate that guy because there's, he's not just going in there and swinging and hoping things work out. There's a surprising amount of craft that goes into what he does. And uh, mea culpa, buddy, for not giving you the credit you deserve before this. Uh, this opened my eyes to a lot of what he can do. I don't know if he's going to be champion, but that is a top-shelf heavyweight right there and needs to be acknowledged as such and i am happy to do so so i was wrong in my prediction i was wrong in my prediction about who would win but i think i stand by a lot of kind of what i said about how i got there but uh yeah pavlovich another one of these guys man and this is true for a lot of people it's hard to break that first impression you know if all you can think about is him getting winding up underneath Alistair Overeem, you're gonna you're gonna have a very wrong view of what this man is capable of. Good win for him. He's had a good year actually. Three fights, three first round finishes, an increasing level of opposition. Uh, Shamil Abdurrahimov, Derek Lewis, and then Tai Tuivasa. Like that guy, that guy's had a good year. Yeah, he might be one of the better fighters... He might have had one of the better 2022s of anybody, to be honest. Uh, so that was that. Again, rough fight for Tai His face was all messed up at the end of this. Uh, yeah, unfortunate. He just kind of wanted to get one more payday, I think, out of the year, but uh, we we might have seen him top out. Uh, that said, he's, I think he's still young enough, and he's still got enough ability to be a relevant fighter in the division, so... Uh, Pavlich on the other hand, he's going to be fighting. He'll be in the title picture. I don't know exactly where, but he's earned that. All right, middleweight. I'm not going to break my arm patting myself on the back here, but uh, I think I did call this one. Uh, Roman Delitze defeats Jack Hermanson. Took this fight on short notice and wins via TKO, 406 of the second round. A uh, funny little story about this. Uh, Chris Curtis, the action man, who's actually got a fight at UFC 282. He was in Dolince's corner for this fight. <laughs> Apparently flew out to be in his corner just when he heard, because he heard he was fighting Jack Hermanson. And Hermanson beat... Um, <laughs> he beat Curtis in uh, both of their last fights. It was against each other, and uh, Hermanson won. Uh... Apparently, uh, Chris Curtis happy to take the crown and title of King Petty over that fight. <laughs> uh, rougher first round for DeLidze. Not a, not a blowout, but a Hermanson round. You know, A lot of movement from Hermanson. So I, I go back and forth between Hermanson and Hermanson. I'm not entirely sure which one I should be using, so forgive me. Uh, Hermanson, Lanny's leg kicks moving around. Hit a few good punches. Got a takedown at one point. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is a little bit messed up at the moment. Um, insomnia and a little congestion. I don't think I have a cold. Uh, I think it's weather related. Um, you know, winter coming in, especially here where I live. So, I've been getting some winter storms, and sometimes that kicks stuff up. Um, uh, anywho. So, uh, Hermanson had the first round, but you saw flashes of kind of you know having success. He landed a few punches. He was holding his own in the rest in the clinch and the wrestling. Hit a really nice pendulum sweep. I believe was in this round. Uh on the on the ground, so you know, for a guy taking the fight on short notice looking okay. Second round. Um they wound up on the ground again. I think Hermanson hit a double leg. Uh, really nice sequence from Deliz He Goes for that same kind of... Pendulum swing and... Sweep into spider web. Uses it to attack an armbar. Doesn't finish the sweep. But he's attacking an armbar. Switches to a triangle choke. Can't finish that. Uses that to reclaim full guard. Inverts for the leg. And as... Hermanson is kind of trying to... Stand and spin his leg through... To come out in top position. It's one of the things you do. Uh... Dalidze kind of reads that roll, uh, shifts, locks up a calf slicer of all things. And because of the calf slicer, uh, Hermanson can't finish his rotation or is going to destroy his knee. He tries to kind of scramble, but he loses one of his. I think he technically had an underhook. Uh if it wasn't an underhook it was just he had an arm that he was kind of posting to stop Delitzay from fully getting around to his back and he had to give that up at one point as they kind of shift around So Delitzay gets on his back with a calf slicer and he gets Hermanson belly down now he just holds the calf slicer here as kind of his anchor point instead of going for hooks or a body triangle Again, he uses the calf slicer to stop Hermansen from moving because one it just sucks to be in a calf slicer. It's not pleasant, but you also like you have to be very careful how you move that leg and how you angle it otherwise again, your knee can explode. so he can't move all that much he can't he struggle he can't really like get the other leg under him to base. And DeLizze starts punching him in the head. He gets wrist control, so you've only got one arm to try and defend yourself. And he's just landing punches. And these aren't like... He's not going to knock out Hermanson with any of these shots necessarily, but... Hermanson can't move. He's got one leg tied up in a calf slicer. He can't move the other leg to try and squirm and adjust and buck and, you know, base... He can't base on his arms because one of them is being attacked. He's just stuck. And if you can't address the position and you're getting punched in the head consistently like, sorry, you can no longer intelligently defend yourself. So ref steps in, waves it off. <laughs> uh, really nice transition from De Uh Hermanson was ranked number eight, I believe, coming into this. Um. Big win for Delitze, You know, speaking of guys who've had good years, uh, Roman Delitze, three fights, three wins, three finishes. He knocked out Kyle Dawkins, he knocked out Phil Hawes, and now he stops Jack Hermanson. All three of the last ones have been performances of the night. Um. He's gonna be around the top ten when the rankings are updated. Uh. Big win for him. He said after the fact, you know, if Kamzat Shemaev can't make welterweight anymore, I'll be higher and happy to welcome him. That would be a fight, certainly. Uh, big win for Dalidze, who has really... He's really found himself lately. Uh, also at middleweight, Eric Anders defeated Kyle Dawkus via TKO punches, 245 of the second. Um, Dawkus, he came back a bit too fast from that Dalidze fight, I think. I mean, say broke his face in that fight. Um, I think both orbital bones got fractured. Um, so, yeah, his... Uh, I think he just came back too fast. Because he got hurt in the first, and he never seemed to get his head back into the fight. So, this was Anders' first finish, I want to say, since he fought Voldemort. Sorry, that's a bad joke. Uh, No, it wasn't Voldemort. That was Tim Williams. Uh, His last stoppage was over Vinicius uh, Moreira. Mojera? I forget how he pronounces that. Uh, But that was June of 19, so, you know, over three years. Three and a half years. Uh, Finally gets another finish. Needed it. He needed this one pretty badly. So, good for him. He still hits hard. He's cleaned up a lot of his technique, especially his... um, his problem a lot of the times if you watched Anders' fights, he'd punch himself out of position and if he didn't land, he was—he struggled to regain your relationship to his opponent. His kind of ring generalship was a bit of a problem. Seems to have sorted some of that out, or at least he did here. Uh we had a catchweight fight because Philip Rowe missed weight. He weighed, this is his second time doing so, by the way. He weighed 173.5 for this one. Um, he also had missed weight last year when he fought Orion Ryan Cosey he weighed uh, actually again 173 and a half uh, he's a big guy like 6'3 six, 6'4 six, so huge for a middleweight or excuse me a welterweight uh, he might have to move up like if if he can't sort this out you, you once fine once happens twice in a relatively short period of time that's a problem Uh, But he and Nico Price had a decent little fight going. Uh, Roe wins via TKO in the third round. Um, Again, this was just, you know, kind of a fun... Roe's a big guy. Um, Anytime he was able to keep uh, Price at bay, he was kind of pot-shotting him, landing on him. Price gets a little bit more going in the second round. Third round, uh, Price hurts Roe pretty badly, gets him against the fence. Looks to swing on him, but he can't quite find the finish. Roe fires back, hurts him, backs him up, you know, is able to unload and actually get the finish. Um, you know, apart from the main event, this was probably your fight of the night. Um, Rowe obviously will, did not receive any kind of bonus because he missed weight. But it was a good little fight to get the main card going. As for the prelims, see, Angela Hill defeated Emily Ducati via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. It was an Angela Hill fight. I told this. I told you guys this last week. They all kind of looked the same. She had good knees out of the clinch. When fighting Ducati, just never got out of first gear. Is kind of my read on this one. So, yep, solid enough win for Hill. Um, Clay Guida defeated Scott Holtzman via split decision, 29-28s. I don't know. I score this for Guida doing it live. There's a very real argument for Holtzman because the third round is kind of the swing round and Holtzman's the one who did damage. Um, but that said, I'm, I'm not up in arms over Guida. Uh, I got a little bit of flack from this on the from my co- a comment I made in my report. So let me explain this very quickly. I said that Clay Guida winning fights in 2022 is just depressing. Now... That's not the most well-formed version of that thought, so let me me do what I can here. One, let me start with this. I do not like Clay Guida's fights. I pretty much never have. If you've been listening to to me do this show for a long time, this is well-documented. Clay Guida's reputation as an exciting fighter... Is built on the back of being tough, having a good gas tank, and losing fights because good fighters have to beat him under those conditions. I defy you to name me a genuinely exciting fight that Clay Guida was in that he won. I defy you. I can name like the look, the three or four best Clay Guida fights, the fights he lost. Everyone remembers the Diego Sanchez fight? He lost. The fight with Benson Henderson. He lost. Um, what's the other one people bring up? Can't remember the other one. Hang on. I mean look, Guida's forty. About to be forty one, a couple of days. He's been the same fighter for the last ten years. And I don't know what to say about it. Oh, Huerta. The Roger Huerta fight. Is kind of the other one that gets brought up. Did I say Huerta? I might have. He lost that. Vincent Henderson. Yeah, yeah. Huerta's the third one that gets brought up all the time. Like, he just, the exciting fights he's involved in are fights he loses. His Fights that he wins are usually boring. I can give you a bunch of examples. His win over Takanori Gomi is boring. His win over Shannon Gugherty is boring. His split decision win over Nate Diaz that he should have lost is boring. His win over Tatsuya Kawajiri is boring. His win over Eric Koch is boring. His win over BJ Penn in 2019. Boy, that sucked. This fight was boring. Just not interesting. Sorry. So, I don't like his fights. First thing. Second, someone who is basically the same fighter they've been for the last, like, five, somewhere between, like, five and ten years, still winning fights in the UFC is a damning indictment on that division. This goes for so many people, by the way. Lest you think I'm just picking on poor Clay Guida here. This is true of Andre Arlovsky and the damning indictment on the heavyweight division. Uh, l- look, let me reference a fighter I like. I love Jim Miller. I do. Jim Miller's, you know, 40. He probably shouldn't be winning fights in the UFC. Now, I again, I love Jim Miller. But Jim Miller, still doing Jim Miller things, as awesome as it is, for me, who's a fan, it does kind of speak poorly about a lot of that division, doesn't it? And, look, is, again, is it unfair of me to say, you know, Jim Miller, yay, every time in Clay Guida, boo? I don't know. Yeah. I think Jim Miller has a better track record for entertaining fights than Clay Guida does. You can disagree with me if you feel so inclined i'll stand on that record i have watched way too many boring repetitive clay guida fights to surrender my right to criticize him and if you feel differently fair enough if you're a fan of clay guida okay you can feel about you can feel great about this if you do okay so i I probably should have phrased that a little bit better, but I stand by the sentiment. So, anyway, he got a win. Scott Holtzman retired after the fight. He, I mean, Holtzman's almost 40, and he had, he's coming off a long layoff, and he's had health issues, and... Okay, I get it. We'll see if it sticks, but it might. Uh, also, again, like these old guys still hanging around. Michael Johnson defeated Mark Jacasy via unanimous decision, 2-29-28, 130 27 that 30-27, that did Giacasey dirty. Mark Giacasi should he won that first round. He did not win the other two. Um, Giacasey trying to wrestle. Because, of course, he was. Johnson did not let him wrestle, so they struck. And after Giacasey slowed down a bit after the first round, Johnson just landed better strikes, landed more of them, won the fight. Mark Giacasey doing one of the most annoying things in MMA, by the way, here. If you are having a boring, average MMA fight, you don't get to taunt. You don't get to do the come on thing. You don't get to... No. Stop it. Stop it. That should be reserved for awesome fights. This was a boring... This was a middle-of-the-road, painfully average MMA fight. Uh, featherweights. Jonathan Pierce defeated Darren Elkins via unanimous decision. Two 30-27s, one 26 I was 30-26. Um, Pierce came out and was landing front kicks to the face early. Couldn't get the finish that way. Now, let's see, Francis Marshall defeated Marcelo Rojo via knockout punches one fourteen of the second. Took Marshall a bit to get going. He looked a little bit slow, a little bit uh during the headlights ish for the first little bit, but once he got warmed up, uh he looked pretty darn good actually. For a guy only six fights into his career, this was number seven. Uh he looked solid. And kicking everything off, Yasmin Haregi defeated Estela Nunez via TKO 4-6 in the second round. Uh, good enough first round from Nunez, but Haregi is uh, she'll get after it, man. She got some decent power. She got a couple of knockdowns. Uh, got on top in the second and just uh, Nunez just not really addressing position, taking too many punches, hammer fists, some nice elbows. Uh, yeah. So that was the event in a six and a half hour show. Uh, your bonuses mentioned it. Fight of the night went to Stephen Thompson and Kevin Holland. Deservedly so. Performances of the night went to Sergei Pavlovich and Roman DeLidse. No real issues there. Um, I think anyone got I don't think anyone got done dirty. I think there's other ways you could have gone. Uh, you could have easily given one of these to Dos Anjos or to uh, Nicolau, Like Either of those guys would have been very deserving as well. But, eh, it's... it's not a robbery, so. Long event, kind of a slog, but to everyone who followed my live coverage, uh, the comment section was actually pretty active for the first time in a long time. Uh, to all of you guys who commented and who followed along, I... Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Um, I know that it's not the biggest priority for the website, or it's not like... Doing this is not the most high-traffic thing that I do for 411 Mania. and I I know that. But it is what I enjoy doing the most. Um, So... Seeing that people still read this, and like again if I, I could get my traffic numbers if I wanted to, but it's just kind of a hassle i don't I don't feel especially compelled to do that, partially because I don't want to be depressed more than I am, so seeing you guys being active down there um, yeah, all I can say is thank you you know it it means a lot to me. Uh, if you are interested in my full report, it is in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. It includes clips of most of the finishes. Not the main event, because, again, corner stoppage, but it also includes my you know, live round-by-round scoring and whatnot. And you can feel free to yell at me if you disagree with me saying that Clay Guida winning fights in 2022 in the UFC is a little depressing. So. All right. Moving on, because the UFC machine... Never stops. Uh, let, let's do the combat sports roundup, actually, if you don't mind. So, we had some stuff over the weekend, not just the UFC event. Uh, let's start with. Let's start with one, very briefly here. Let's start with one. So, we had a couple of things. One had technically two events. Um. The big one was the one that was the stuff for uh, on one ch- on Prime Video rather. So, hang on, let me let me get to that in just a second. Uh, the other part of that event, this is uh, one one sixty four. Uh, your main event at one hundred and twenty five pounds straw weight for them because they're weird. Uh, Jared Brooks won the title, and uh, nice to see Jared Brooks, you know, still kind of kicking around and winning. So good for him. Uh, Brandon Vera lost a fight at heavyweight. He got stopped in the first round by Amir Ali Kabari. And Vera retired after the fight. I think this one will stick for him. Um, did Brandon Vera was, you guys may not remember this because you may not have been around back then, but when I kind of started watching MMA a bit more seriously, I mentioned this, like, my, my... I was aware of MMA for a while. And then, kind of the post-Tough Season 1. I Again, my first, like, I've mentioned this. My first vivid memory is watching Anderson Silva's UFC debut. But I know I'd seen stuff before then. And as I became more familiar with MMA, I started going back and watching other stuff, to the extent you could find on the internet those days. Which was a dodgy proposition at times. Like, this is almost... This is almost pre-YouTube. Not quite pre-YouTube, but almost, so... Again. But... The point here is, back then... Brandon Vera was... Kind of a big deal. Um, He debuted for the UFC in 2005. And had a pretty good run, actually, for a while. He beat... Um, Fabiano Scherner, Justin Eilers, Asuario Silva, and Frank Mir. The win over Frank Mir was kind of a big deal. The problem he ran into was a little bit after that, um, he started having contract issues and some health issues. Uh, because after he beat Frank Mir in 2006, and around this time he's doing the, I'm going to be the, he was fighting at heavyweight. And he did the, I'm going to be the first simultaneous world champion. I'm going to be two-weight world champion. I'm going to beat Tim Sylvia, who was the champion at heavyweight at the time. So again, a little context for the timing. And then I'm going to go down and I'm going to beat Chuck Liddell and I'm going to be the light heavyweight champion. Now, given the state of MMA at the time, it wasn't the worst idea in the world. But again, he had contract issues. He sat out for a long time. When he came back, he had lost to Tim Sylvia in 2007. That went the distance. Got stopped by Fabricio Verdum in 2008. Drops to light heavyweight. Is a little bit up and down after that. Um, there's some weirdness there. Like he, uh, he loses a split decision to Keith Jardine. That, okay, fair enough. He loses a unanimous decision to Randy Couture that he probably should have won, to be candid. Uh, then he fights John Jones when John Jones is on the ascent, and Jones, like, breaks his face. Uh, he loses more than he wins for a while. He leaves the UFC, fights for one. But this is a guy who debuted professionally in 2002. And a 20-year career... I mean, he's lost his last three fights. He's been finished in all of them. That's to Ang Arjun Buller, and the aforementioned Amir ali Khabari. Um But for for a while, when this guy kind of burst onto the scene, like, Brandon Vera was pretty dynamic and was a guy that was making some noise. So seeing him, you know, retire... Uh, Yeah, I I wish him the best in what he does next. Uh, As for the fight card that was on Prime, a couple of things of note. Your main event. um, I was kind of looking forward to this one, actually. Uh, You have Rainer de Ritter, who is the one middleweight and light heavyweight champion. uh, And has been doing some good grappling work. Fighting interim heavyweight champion Anatoly... Uh, what is it? Malkun? Malkin? I'm not entirely sure that's the correct way to pronounce. So that's why I apologize. Uh, Malkin is... Again, the interim heavyweight champion was coming down for the light heavyweight title. And uh, Malkin just stops him in the first round. Just kind of hammered him out with punches. Malkin looked pretty darn good here, actually. Stopped all the tie-up attempts, stopped the takedowns, and just solid punches, good shot selection. I uh, was pretty darn impressed with him, actually. Uh, also on that card... I don't really care about Cade Rotolo's unanimous decision. When that was just grappling. Oh, a bit of unfortunate stuff here... Roberto Soldic, Soldic, excuse me, Soldic, who is a former KSW champion, was actually like, I think pretty highly of him. Made his one debut against uh, Murad Ramazanov, and we had a fight that stopped in the first round due to a groin strike. Uh, Ramazanov landed a sick-sounding groin shot that just, oof, that hurt. That hurt. Just, <laughs> just thinking about it. Uh, really unfortunate, uh, cause I, I'm kind of a fan of soldage, so I hope he was able to recover and rebound, so. That's it for one. On the boxing side of things, we had a couple of fights. One of them, uh, Tyson Fury kind of sleptwalked through his fight with Derek Chisora on route to a 10th round TKO stoppage, um. Almost Fury just kind of keeping busy because we've all been wanting him to fight Alexander Usyk and get a unified four belt champion for the first time at heavyweight. Uh, Anthony Joshua decided he wanted his immediate rematch with Usyk after Usyk beat him, so we got that. Usyk then said, "I'm not. I just the timing won't work out for me to fight again for the end of the year." And Tyson Fury wanted a payday. So he fought Derek Chisora here. The fight was very uninspired. Mean, Tyson Fury is just better than Chisora everywhere. Like the first round, Chisora technically outlanded Fury, but I think Fury still won that round. And then after that, it was just a wipeout for Fury. Um, he could have stopped this sooner if he wanted to, to be candid. I'm glad it was stopped when it was. It was getting it was getting uncomfortable. Uh, after the fight, Usyk and Fury had a little bit of a face-to-face. Hopefully we get that fight. That'll be a good fight if it happens. Um, I'm still picking Fury for that fight, but I'm coming around to the idea that Usyk might have a legitimate shot at it, just for the record. Uh, the other big fight in boxing was... Uh, let see, we had... Uh, I think it was uh, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez and... Wa- was it Estrada. I want to make sure, I believe, for some reason, this guy's name always escapes me. Uh, Yeah, Juan Francisco Estrada. Um, These two concluded their trilogy fight. Um, They had split, had split fights before. Uh, Chocolatito, so again, Roman Gonzalez, he beat him back in like, what was it, 12? Yeah, 2012. Uh, Estrada came back and defeated him via split decision last year in a darn good fight. Here, Francisco Estrada wins via majority decision. This was a really good fight. Um, you could score this fight, I think, 7-5 to five either way and be perfectly fine. Um, I know people who scored it both ways. I haven't sat down and scored the fight when I was uh, watching it. I haven't quite had the time yet. Uh, I just um, very recently was able to watch most of it i I knew the outcome already Uh, good fight these two guys are you know legends of these smaller weight classes so my hats off to both of them for just a a truly great trilogy all around uh uh, if you're interested in boxing give that one a watch that was absolutely worth your time Uh, all right was there anything else i think that was it as far as the combat sports weekend goes, ah, big show this week, guys. We got a big card to preview, and there's still a pretty big news item left to go. So I thank you for sticking with me, and I hope you have a long drive so I can accompany you. Uh, UFC 282. Let's talk how we got here very briefly. The uh, the like the trailers, you know, the the commercials and whatnot for this. It came out during this last event, and sadly, are pretty scuffed. It's understandable. Look, the original main event for this card fell apart. And the big selling point was going to be that fight. It was going to be selling the rematch between Prochka and Teixeira. Which is the fight of the year for 2022. You have to get something truly crazy out of these next two events. And I doubt we will. Uh, Maybe the most... The most entertaining light heavyweight title fight of all time. I feel confident saying that. Maybe the best overall, depending on your sensibilities. If it's not number one, it is number two. Just Great fight. That was going to be your selling point. Was rematch of this incredible fight. Then, Yzy Prohaska has his shoulder injury. We don't know the specifics. We know it's bad. He surrendered the belt, and the UFC. Well, I'm going to redocument this briefly. So that happens. The UFC calls Glover Teixeira and says, How do you feel about fighting Makhomet Ankolaev at UFC 282? Because props goes out. Teixeira thinks about it and goes, Ankolaev's a southpaw, and most of my prep work is for a guy. Who, Prohachka and Ankulaev are about as polar opposite as you can get, And I don't just mean his one's mostly orthodox of the is very bistantual. Very fluid. Ankulaev's pretty solidly southpaw. But Prohachka is a maniac. Ankulaev is... Not. Like, he's a hammer. He will ruin your night. He will ruin your whole night. I mean that. But... He just—he fights like the complete opposite of So To share, like, my prep work's not for this guy. I can't do it on that same date. If you want me to fight on if I will. Move the fight back a few weeks. Let's do it in Rio. That'll be enough time for me to kind of retool. The UFC says no. We need the light heavyweight title to be on the line on this card because we want it for the pay-per-view. So then, well, what about Jan Belovich? I'll fight Jan Belovich. No, we want Uncle Iev to be part of the discuss- part of the title picture. He's. Uh, this is the UFC's call, and so Teixeira says, no, I'm not going to do it. And I don't blame Glover Teixeira one iota. Let this be a exhibit number 6,543,210. The promoter is not your friend. The UFC does not care about you. As a person, as a fighter, as a car- your career, your life, they don't care. They care about your ability to facilitate their schedule of events. That is it. Please, 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 fighters, learn this lesson before it's too late. Too many fighters learn this way too late in the game. They are not your friend. I don't care if they pay for your hotels. I don't care what little things they do for you on the side. That might mean the world to you, and I'm not discounting that. You can be grateful, take advantage of it, but do not ever make the mistake of thinking the UFC is your friend. They are not. So Teixeira gets left out in the cold, and now we get Blahovich versus Ankalaev, which was already on that card. Now it's five rounds for the vacant light heavyweight title fight. That is our main event. And it's... We got here via convoluted mains. But it's still a good fight. You know, at the end of the day, it is a good fight. I have been kind of saying that I think Magomed Onkolaev is going to be the man in this weight class for a while. Now, I'm not saying Jan Blahovich can't win this fight. That would be, a, be doing Blahovic a big disservice. Blahovic is heavy on top. He's got decent takedowns. He's got power. Pretty good blitzer. You know, he's got you know, good kicks. He's a former champion for a reason. I'm not trying to say he cannot win this fight. I am saying I am picking on Ayev. If you want to know why, it, the reasoning goes as follows. Makovic Uncle does not get hit very often. His defense is top notch. A bit of stats real fast, actually. Yeah, the man absorbs, like... Two significant strikes per minute. Which is a really low number. Like, that's a really low number. And he lands three and a half, give or take. His accuracy is in the high 50s, which is good. His takedown defense is very good. Uh, 86%. And people forget about where he's good, man. Because... I mean, he smashed Anthony Smith when they fought, and I know Smith had the injury to his foot, and that sucks. But when Magomed Ankalaev came into the UFC, he was undefeated, and he came in from I think it was M1 again, which very, very legitimate organization. Sure. No, sorry, not not M1, from the WFCA. Was kind of the primary one. He came in mostly as kind of a ground-and-pound artist. He had sick ground-and-pound. Uh, loses UFC debut to Paul Craig. His undefeated sense. And he turned into a little bit more of a striker at distance. But the Anthony Smith fight should remind you that if he gets on top of you, you are in for a really bad night. Uh... He's long. He's got good strikes. He's got good kicks. He's a southpaw. Pardon me. And he's happy to fight boring if that is the best way to win. This fight might not be very entertaining. I'll prepare for that. Again, I'm not saying Blahovich can't win. But... Makhlyayev is very—he has reached a point in his career, in his skill set, where he is very hard to beat. He is very hard to find. He is very hard to hit at all. He is very hard to hurt. He's good in the clinch. He's good at distance. He's good on the mat. I—I I said, man, I've been picking this. I've been saying for a while. I think this guy—he's coming for that belt. I thought he'd have to go one more fight after this one, and Blahovich is a very stern test, and I don't mean to diminish his op- his chances here, but I'm picking on Kolaev. and I I feel pretty I feel okay doing that. I feel okay doing that. All right. Co-main event: Paddy Pimblett and Jared Gordon. I I don't care about this fight. Um, it's another step up for Paddy Pimblett. You know, Jared Gordon's a decent enough veteran. He's been around for a while. He's been up and down in the UFC, but he's won more than he's lost. He's got again, he's got some solid wins under his belt, but he's here to kind of be the next step for Paddy Pimblett. That's probably what he's going to wind up being. Would be my hunch. So, the UFC is matchmaking Pimblett very carefully. To be clear, I don't think. I don't think he's being um, coddled. Jared Gordon is not get, like Jared Gordon is not going to coddle you. That's not a. This is not a soft touch fight. I do think the UFC believes they have a potential star on their hands, and while they are looking to escalate what he who he is fighting, he's they are again they're being selective with his opponent. There are people they could give him that are much worse stylistic matchups for him than Jared Gordon. Some people on this... On this card? Yeah, maybe on this card. Again, some of these guys kind of bounce between featherweight and lightweight on occasion, but... um, Again, this is the lightweight division. They could make his life very difficult if they chose to. They are choosing... Not to. And you know what? I don't even hate him for it. I'm not here to be salty about it. That's just an acknowledgement of what's going on. So, picking Pimblet. Welterweight. They've been trying to make this fight forever, but uh, Robbie Lawler and Santiago Ponzinibbio. Rough spot for both of these gentlemen. Um, Look, my respect for Robbie Lawler is ridiculous. I mean... That guy's been fighting... He has three fights, for the record. Not many people left who have this stat. Robbie Lawler had three fights, professionally, before 9-11. He fought in April, June, and July of 2001. He's been doing this forever. He's been involved in some truly spectacular fights. couple of my favorites of all time are Robbie Lawler fights. He is, however... One and four in his last five. Wait. He's one and five in his last six. He's also one and four in his last five, so it's still technically true, but one win in the last six fights, and that's over Nick Diaz. He got stopped by Brian Barberina his last time out. He's just... He's just... It's about time for him to call it. And that's going to be sad again, because I've so... Dude, watching his fight with Carlos Condit, watching his fight with Ro- with uh, Roy McDonald, like watching those live were I wasn't there, so yeah. You know, but watching them, those are movie fights, right? Those are movie fights. Um, nothing but respect for the man. Ponzinibbio is not exactly in the best spot either. He is 1-3 in his last four. The only win is over Miguel Baeza. He's on a two-fight losing streak. Now, this is somewhat mitigated by his two losses coming to Jeff Neal and Michelle Pereira, and they're both split decisions. kind of Was it the Neal fight I thought he won? I think that was true. It was one of those that I thought he won. I can't remember which one. I, my hunch is the Neal fight. Uh, but again, don't hold me to that. So these guys are in kind of a rough spot, but I'm gonna pick Ponzinibbio. I just I don't think I can pick Robbie Lawler at this point. I think he's too. I, I think it's time for him to be done. To be honest, I'm not saying he should be not. Uh, again, this is not a medical thing. This is not me crying about his being sanctioned because I have. I don't think we're there, but I do think it's probably time for him to be done. Um, yeah so I'm going to lean towards Ponzinibbio but if there is if there's a little bit of Robbie Lawler magic left Ponzinibbio is vulnerable Uh, middleweights Darren Till well he's been out of action for a while yeah yeah over a year so he last fought uh, September of 2021 when he got beat by Derek Brunson Um, you know, let this be a, let this be a lesson to you guys, right? About hype jobs. Look, I thought, I've said this before, like, Till kind of got rushed a little bit. The UFC wanted another Michael Bisbing. Thought Till could do it. Had that draw with Nicholas Dalby that maybe should have been more of a canary in the coal mine than we all let it be. He won after that, beat Yesen Ayari, Bojan Velichkovich, uh, Both okay performances. He stops Donald Cerrone in the first round, and that kind of got people's attention. And he fights Steven Thompson, and I thought he lost that fight, just straight up. I did not agree with that decision. That gets him a title shot way too soon against Tyron Woodley at the time. Woodley wins the first round, drops him, chokes him out in the second. He tries to rebound by fighting Jorge Masvidal in 2019. That was a bad year to fight Jorge Masvidal. Has a good enough rebound. and have well knocked him out in the second round. Has a good enough rebound beating Kelvin Gastelum. Then he fights Robert Whitaker. And Whitaker beats him, because Robert Whitaker is very good. Uh then he fight <clears throat> then he's off for again over a year. He's got some issues. Uh some knee issues, I believe, as well, and then fights Derek Brunson and loses. Now we're again over a year later. He's had some again more knee issues, I believe. Other injury issues. And he is fighting... <clears throat> a guy who I think is kind of on the come-up... In Dracus Duplessis. Um, Dracus is South African. And he's still kind of banging the drum... Of being the first like African born and raised... Champion. Which, you know... I mean, he would be. He absolutely would be. Um... Because it, I don't know, would you consider that with Ngannou? Ngannou doesn't train there anymore. I don't know. That that's a tough one. Um, but like, it would kind of be between be between him and Ngannou. Like, I, I respect how much the the Nigerian heritage is important to guys like Israel Adesanya and uh, Kamaru Usman. Like, it clearly matters to them. But, uh. You know, to be, like, just, you know, African the whole way, in terms of, like, born there, raised there, trained there, fight out of there. Drake is Duplicy would be the first in the UFC. Um Duplicy, again, he split fights with, uh, I talked about him a little bit ago, Roberto Soldic in uh, KSW. 3-0 in the UFC. Uh, wins over Marcus Perez, Trevin Giles, and he beat Brad Tavares recently. That was kind of a... He had a rough first round and then kind of gutted through it to come back, start figuring stuff out in the second and third. Um, this might be This might be it for Darren Till. Like this is if he loses here, I don't know where we go from there. And I think he's gonna lose. Like, he might win. I this is not a slam dunk, like there's no way Darren Till can win this. No, there's ways he can win this. But I kind of favor Duplessis, so that's what I'm picking. Uh, And kicking everything off. Great fight here, by the way. You know, straight up, this is the best fight on the card. Bryce Mitchell versus Ilya Teporia at featherweight. Um, Bryce Mitchell's on a really good run, man. Undefeated, 15-0, coming off a big win over Edson Barboza back in March. There's a lot of groundwork. I, unfortunately for him, he's up against a, a rough matchup in the form of Ilya Teporia. Teporia is a very good grappler. In fact, every, most of his wins before the UFC, he got to the UFC were submissions. And he's, in the UFC, he's been a hammer. And he's also undefeated. He is 12-0. It's a bit of a step up for him. Um, he was supposed to fight Edson Barboza back in October. That fight fell apart. Unfortunate. Would have very much liked that fight. Um, Mitchell's striking is still a bit of a question mark. He he leans very hard on the grappling. He's very good at it, so it it works out for him, but Tapori is a good grappler. Tapori is going to push him in ways that he may not have been pushed yet. You know, Barbosa <clears throat> bless him, he's over the hill. Taporia is most certainly not over the hill. So, that's the pay-per-view card. Um sorry, forgot my pick there. i to pause for a minute. Yeah, I I'm leaning towards Ilya Taporia actually here. Bryce Mitchell, he seeks the fight and I <clears throat> but I don't know how he's gonna react when Teporia lands on him, and Teporia is going to land on him. Mitchell's defense is not great. He might react fine. He might force things to the mat. He might be able to outgrapple him. That is entirely, entirely possible. But I'm, I got kind of a hunch here. I'm, just, I'm leaning Teporia, but that's a very, very good fight. Like I said, that might be the best fight on the whole card, if we're talking about fight quality. So that's your main card. It's not a great pay-per-view. It's just not. Sorry. But it's not the worst thing in the world either. As for the prelims, what do we got? Speaking of the worst things in the world, heavyweights. Jarsina Rosenstrike and Chris Dawkus. Boy, both of those guys need a win pretty badly, don't they? Rosenstroke is on a two-fight losing streak. Yeah, losses to Cyril Lugan, Curtis Blades, Alexander Volkov. Just not in a good spot. Dawkus is similarly in a rough spot. Uh, Losses to Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. I'm going to lean towards Dawkus still, but he better get things back on track. Bantamweight, Raul uh, Rosas Jr. versus Jay Perrin. Rosas Jr. may recall as the 17-year-old who got signed off the Contender Series. They're probably going to matchmake him carefully, but anybody that young fighting in the UFC, like, that's a, that is a rough proposition, man. Just a rough proposition. I don't mean this negatively. Like, teenagers, people like 17, early 20s. Uh, <sighs> So, again, when you're that age, man. You have no sense of your own vulnerabilities. And maybe that's not the worst thing in the world as a general rule. Like, you kind of need young people, especially young men in some respects, to feel indestructible to go and do things. But you're not. And when the consequences of that reality hitting you in the face are fighting in the UFC, well, again, it's a proposition, so... They're going to matchmake him very carefully, I bet, I bet, because they kind of want to lean on the gimmick. Uh, he'll probably win this. Middleweight. Boy, these two. Edmund Shabazian and Dal Lungiambula. Shabazian badly needs a win. He's on a three-fight losing streak, and none of those have been especially good for him. Stopped by Derek Brunson. Jack Hermanson beat the crap out of him for three rounds, and Nasruddin Imovov stopped him in his last fight. That was over a year ago. Um, Lungiambula on a three fight losing streak. Um If Shabazian can't beat Lungiambula here, it is time to cut bait. I'm gonna pick Shabazian, but mostly because Lungiambula is not kinda of the wrestler that has given Shabazian so many problems. But man, this is do or die for Shabazian. Uh, Chris Curtis, middleweight. Chris Curtis and Joaquin Buckley. This is actually kind of fun. I'm surprised it's not a little bit higher. Um, this will be a fun fight. Buckley had a three-fight winning streak lost when he lost to Nostradin Imovov. Curtis just had a good win- winning streak snapped by Jack Hermanson. I'm going to lean towards Chris Curtis, but I expect this to be a fun fight. Uh, Early prelims. Billy Quarantillo and Alexander Hernandez. Hernandez cut into featherweight. Really? Trying to revitalize his career. Um, Dude, he burst onto the scene and he knocked out Benil Dariush in less than a minute. Beat Olivier Aubamercier, then lost to Donald Cerrone. Like, he's been up and down since. Coming off a loss to Renato Moicano. That was kind of a rough loss. Uh, Billy Quarantillo coming off of that really good fight with Shane Burgos last year that had the unfortunate placement on the card of trying to follow Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. Matt, any other, any other fight card that was fight of the night, easy. Instead, it again, it got overshadowed, unfortunately, because that was a good fight. I think that weight cut's going to be a real problem for Hernandez. Quarantillo's a pretty accurate striker. i can go with Billy Q here. Light heavyweights, Owen St. Prue, who's been young and promising for like 15 years now. And believe me, at this point, he's neither young nor promising. Uh, Coming off of a weird split decision win over Shogun. Um, He's fighting Antonio Tricoli. Do I? I can I'm. I'm just kind of at the point with Ovin St. Preux where I can't pick him to win fights. He might. Tricoli might be one of those guys coming off the Contender Series who's just, you know, kind of there, and a guy who's been there, done that for as long as Ovin St. Preux has been here and doing this. Might be too much for him, but I. I I'm just not picking Ovin St. Preux to win fights at this point. I think that. I think it's just where I am with him. Featherweights: T.J. Brown and Eric Silva. Not that Eric Silva, the other Eric Silva. Sorry, that's a long-standing joke about Eric Silva because he was the UFC's yo-yo for a while. Uh, I'm gonna pick T.J. Brown here. Uh, he's again, he's been up and down in the UFC, but uh, I feel okay picking him. Let's see, flyweights: Venicia Salvador and Daniel De da Silva. I think that's Daniel lacerta. Uh, this is a rough spot for Lacerda. He kind of needs the win. i to go with Salvador, though. Double-check Salvador real fast. Because. Where are you? He is Brazilian. Coming off the Contender Series, right? Yeah, yeah. He had a pretty good winning streak, actually. Uh, De Silva is 0-3 in the UFC. Jeez. Jeff Molina, Francisco Figueiredo, and Victor Altamirano. Altamirano, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, let's go with Salvador. And... Cameron... Simon and Stephen Koslo. Where is Simon from? Um, he's okay, South African. I have no idea how to pronounce that. So I'm gonna go with Simon, uh, Simon, and I know I'm doing that wrong. I apologize to you, sir. When I hear it pronounced, because John Anik is a uh, is very good about this thing, I will do it properly next time. I apologize. Uh, he's undefeated. He is 6-0. and Coming off the contenders, he's an EFC vet, which I used to... I've seen plenty of EFC events, actually, because I don't mind watching certain levels of regional MMA. Uh, Mr. Kozlo. Okay, I can't pick this gentleman. His nickname is Obi-Wan Shinobi the Pillow. Now, that's either the greatest thing in the world or the worst. And I'm inclined to think the worst. Um, he is also undefeated at six and zero. Coming, he's not coming off the contender series, but uh, which of his wins have I seen? Sorry, I know I've seen at least one of these like in highlight fashion, so can't remember which one. I apologize. Uh, I'm a little bit torn here. maybe Simon, I think Simon so let me go with that, but don't bet anything on that based on like my calling it that i don't know nearly enough about those gentlemen to make a to make a reasonable pick there, so that's the event I will be covering it next Saturday in the mmazone mona four and one that will be right after my third brown test, actually, pretty close to it, so. My physical exhaustion will likely play a role in how that goes. Uh, all right, let's move on to news. Um, you know, I'm not going to put this on the rundown. Let me just very briefly say this. Um, Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whittaker, put out on uh, put a post out on Twitter or whatnot about a date night with his wife. It's a picture of him and his wife, um, and they were and just, you know, date night with the wife, going to see. Uh, I think Jordan, uh, Jordan Peterson, who I believe was in Australia as part of his uh, speaking tour, whatnot, and a portion of Twitter and the MMA corner of Twitter lost their minds because they want or want to do so. Let me just say this: I mean, there, there was one tweet from somebody, and it's one of those tweets you could hear, right? You can just hear the tone in which this is intended. It was something effective. I don't know who needs to hear this, but your favorite fighter is probably a conservative. So, let's do a couple of things here. One, Robert Whitaker is Australian. I don't know how much you know about Australian politics, but they skew, by the American standards, pretty heavily to the left. Even So, Australian Conservative is not necessarily American Conservative, just so you get that clear. His view of life is probably a lot more in line with yours than you think. Second, I'm not saying you have to agree with Jordan Peterson on anything. You don't. I don't. I don't agree with him on points. I'm not going to get into my politics, or so you don't care about them. This is a thing about life for everybody, okay? Can we stop pretending that people we disagree with are the worst things in the world? Please? Again, you don't have to agree with Jordan Peterson, all right? I'm not advocating for his positions here. I'm saying... Everything I've heard from him, none of, even if I disagree with it, none of it has been unreasonable. None of it has been ridiculous. None of it has been outlandish. For some reason, you are kind of like likening him to listening to Alex Jones or some other guy way off the deep end. Even Alex Jones isn't as off the deep end as everyone thought because Kanye West has just made... Apparently, he's gone way off the deep end. Um, But again, the point here is there's a lot of people in the world. A lot of them are going to have disagreements with you on certain points. If you try to reduce how you view people and whatnot into do they fall on the left side or the right side of this imaginary line the American political system has currently forced a lot of you to think in. That's going to be, that's a bad way to go about living life. It's It's just a bad way to go about living life. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying agree with the man. I'm not. Please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not advocating for that. I'm advocating for you to take a more reasonable look at the world around you. And whether or not you agree with Jordan Peterson on anything is not the same as saying people who go listen to some of his lectures are just the worst people, are you know, terrible human beings. Like the, Stop that. This is a, again, this is a bad way to go about living your life. Also, Twitter's not real. So, you know, go outside, live your life. It's better without Twitter. With very, very minimal Twitter. Probably better without it overall, to be candid. Twitter is a... Twitter is what it is. Put it like that. Thirdly, I wonder how many of you had anything to say about Kamaru Usman, Justin Cagey, and uh, Henry Cejudo agreeing to be in propaganda videos for Ramzan Kadyrov last week. listening again going to a lecture with your wife for date night not sure that's what i would be doing for date night but i'm not married i'm a loser and robert whittaker is awesome so my opinion on that means nothing he's married with a wonderful wife and children and seems to be a very very again a very cool dude i am a loser with a podcast so hey but if that's what he and his wife chose to do, I know other married couples who have seen Jordan Peter, have gone to Jordan Peterson lectures. It's a thing some people choose to do. Fair enough. And everyone I know that's done that is—they're all reasonable people. None of them I'd consider nut jobs or wackos. Or and I have my disagreements with some of them about certain things, not usually political related. But you know, like we're people, we disagree on points and we agree on a lot. And they're still my friends, and that's fine. I mean, my I promise not to bring up my personal politics so you all understand. I am i don't know. I probably lean a little conservative to the extent that I care about most politics. And a lot of it I don't care about that much because most of it doesn't affect day-to-day life for the vast majority of people. Who'd have thought? There's still things that do matter, by the way, just for the record. But people who get caught up in the minutia. Anyway, again, you people who probably didn't have anything to say about all these fighters palling around with a murderous dictator who is being sanctioned by the U.S. government as we speak, you're silent. You don't have anything to say. Oh, no. Someone mentions a guy I disagree with, but who is otherwise, you know, just a just an academic giving lectures and whatnot. Like, one of these things you should care about a lot more than the other, as a general rule, and you don't. Again, you didn't say anything about Frankie Edgar hanging around with... Uh, Kadyrov, and he did. Or, you know, when Fabricio Verdum was doing commentary for the man's fight promotion, he was like, no, he threw a boomerang at Colby Covington, and isn't that great, because we all hate Colby. Well, you know, I'm not saying Colby Covington's the greatest human being in the world, but I don't know him personally. I am saying... Hmm? Palling around with Ramzan Kadyrov, I think, is a much or agreeing to be used in propaganda videos, which is what those guys were doing over there. Because Ali Abdelaziz is tight with Kadyrov. Like, sorry, that's all. I if we're going to talk about your moral reaction to things, like, let's place your moral reaction and outrage where it should be. This is MMA. There's so much worse. And I mean so much worse than Robert Whitaker, all around good dude, going to a lecture with his wife, hosted host, by a guy who you disagree with. Like, can we all just, and it's Twitter, so no one's going to listen to me, but seriously, let's all just take a step back and relax a bit about some of this stuff. Yeah. Ugh. MMA Twitter is like. It's not the actual worst corner of Twitter, but boy do we get close sometimes. And I'll say we, I'm there. Like it's bad out there. You get you can kick over some rocks and find some stuff when it comes to how MMA fans are on the internet. But let's move on to the real story of the week. Like that was my excuse to yell at you all to the extent that any of you listening to this care about that. So or to just yell at the ether and get that off my chest because way too many people have started porting over started thinking Twitter is real Twitter is not real please stop pretending it is your life will be better when you stop thinking Twitter is real life. I promise you that real story of the week the UFC and betting and James Krauss and oh boy were in trouble so I mentioned this a little bit ago that the uh that new jersey the i forget the name of this organization but the new jersey like gaming control board sent out a message to like the the big uh sports books in new jersey you are not allowed to accept bets on fights involving like anyone trained by or like associated with james kraus this is all in the wake of that at least partially in the wake of that fight with Derek Minner... ...where his knee was clearly messed up coming into it. And there was some funky betting at the last minute on his opponent... ...and you remember it was a thing. Well, that escalated this last week. Um, <laughs> if you'll recall, the, U- the UFC came out and Dana White said... ...yeah, we did an investigation, didn't find anything all that funky further proof that you cannot take promoters at their word about anything everything they say has to be verified independently they're liars they're professional liars and uh, that is the job like again they are professional liars if you are there's no such thing as an honest promoter there can't be they'd go out of business the 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 entire profession is fundamentally about deception so Two major provinces in Canada, both Alberta and Ontario, have currently banned the betting like banned betting on UFC events. Whew. That's big, guys. That's a big deal. Here's here's a couple of things that the UFC's response to this, by the way. Um they sent out a memo like they have sus- they have suspended to the extent that they can James Krause from like cornering fighters. And they sent out a memo that says, OK, fighters, if you train with James Krause at uh, Glory and Fitness MMA. Like if you train there. You will no longer be invited to participate in UFC events. You, you know what? The, uh, Yeah, independent contractors, right? Every independent contractor is told where they can train. Where they can buy their... stuff. So- like, ugh. Really pushing that envelope. I wish they'd deal with it, but no one will. Um, uh, Krauss trains some very high-level fighters, by the way. Uh, Brandon Moreno actually trained with James Krauss at the moment. So, among others. Like, yeah, this is uh, not a good thing. We'll see how things shake out, but... Here's the big problem with this. And this, you all should have seen this coming as soon as you started getting in bed with sports gambling. I am, what I'm about to say is not a moral judgment about sports betting, for the record. But, if you're going to get in bed with that, there are things that have to be in place. And you, the UFC and MMA in general, has been very lucky thus far. That this hasn't come up, it should have, because what I'm about to describe is a very common practice. For the record, one of the th- the question about why why would so here, here's the question like why would you stop betting on UFC events? Because some people are using insider knowledge. Well, that's actually a that's a lot more common than you might think, and I, it's probably not the biggest of deals. Like, it's not great, but we can work with that a little bit, I would assume. Here's the problem. If the UFC says, or, let's take this upcoming fight. okay, Main event, Jan Blachowicz, Magomed Ankolaev. Those two are going to fight. You have to make a wager. What these regulatory bodies are designed to do is to make sure that the people making wagers are not being taken advantage of. What does that mean? You can get this, so again, is the outcome legitimate? Is kind of the big one. Now, you might say, well, yeah, no one's throwing a fight. Okay. There might not be collusion to throw a fight, but. If you've been around as long as I have, or longer, and some of you have, you'll know what I'm about to say is a thing that happened a lot in the past and still happens. Fighters routinely come into fights injured. Matter of course. No one comes into a fight 100%. And you can have some pretty serious injuries. It's very common for fighters to come into a fight injured fight then claim that the injury happened in the fight now this matters because if the injuries that occur during a fight are covered by I think they're covered by the state like the, the medical coverage for them is different than the fighter's personal insurance so there was a time when this happened all the time it still happens a lot um a few years ago the ufc tried to help get fighters insurance to kind of curtail this a little bit but this still happens a lot because fighters are fighters get the worst end of every deal possible that's where they exist at the moment in the scheme of things for a lot of fighters this is again this is a job this is how you pay the bills so you get hurt what do you do you you got bills you fight then you say, my injury happened during the fight, I get the fight, I get the check for the fight, maybe I even win. Then after the fact, I say, yeah, my torn up knee, that happened during the fight. And you can't prove otherwise. And they can't prove otherwise. So the state pays for the surgery. Or the state or whatever relevant insurance body. Like, again, I forget exactly the nuance of this because the American healthcare system is... Oy, it's a mess. Um, whatever whatever you think should be done about that and there's a lot of ways that we could go but like we kind of exist at the moment like the worst apex of ideas about healthcare in terms of the mixture of like fr- sort of free market but mostly government mandated and very expensive and uh, again like the Canadian healthcare system has all kinds of problems too there's tons of wait times Elective surgeries are kind of a mess. That's why you're a lot. The thing about the American healthcare system is if you can afford it, it's great. It's just expensive. And how we deal with that? Well, that's a question, isn't it? The point being, it's a mess. And fighters will like, again, they will fight injured and then say injury happened during the fight. Here's the question for you. And I mean this to you. If you're told... Magomed Onkolaev and Jan Blachowicz are going to fight. And they do fight. And then after the fact, let's say Magomed Ankalaev wins. I'm just spinning a hypothetical. And after the fact, Jan Blachowicz says to, in an interview or the post-fight media scrum or whatever, says, yeah, I, you know, tore my whatever two weeks ago. How legitimate is the outcome of that fight all of a sudden? I'm not saying Jan Blahovich went out there and didn't do his best. I'm saying that information matters. That information matters a lot if you are betting money on this. The NFL and other major sports organizations, they get away with this in one way and in one way only, injury reporting. Every, because of this, Only because of this. Let's be very clear. If teams could gain a competitive edge by being more opaque about the health status of players, they would do it and they should do it if it's not against any kind of rules. It would be against the rules. Injury reporting matters for the integrity of betting. If Derek Minner went into that fight with a torn up leg, people who knew about it could bet heavily and make money and you question the legitimacy of that. I yelled, sort of, to high heaven about T.J. Dillashaw coming into that fight with Aljamain Sterling with a shoulder that was held together with like string and bubblegum. People knew about that. A lot of people knew about that. You had a license to print money. If you knew T.J. Dillashaw's shoulder was compromised, he was never going to win that fight. I already made that case. If you know he can't win, and let's be very clear, he can't win with that shoulder against Aljermaine Sterling. Can't do it. Is that a legitimate fight all of a sudden? Is that a legitimate outcome? TJ didn't throw the fight in the traditional sense. He went in there with no chance of victory. Is that the same? Do you mean for his personal integrity, like, again, he did not go in there to lose. He did not intentionally throw the fight but in the way we traditionally think of it. The fight was not a work, so to speak. But was it legitimate? To say Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw are going to fight is one thing. They did. But there is so much that goes into that, especially if we're going to bet. Is that legitimate all of a sudden? Is it, leg- is it a legitimate fight for TJ Dillashaw to go in there that compromised? unable to win? Big question, isn't it? It's a real big question. And fighters fight hurt all the time. All the time. Who knows about it? Not just who knows about it to capitalize from an insider perspective. Again, that's... that's. Not, I don't think that's actually the worst thing in the world. It's not great. You'd rather it didn't happen. You can fight it. There's laws. like. But that's... I mean this if you're the UFC. That's actually second order. Your concern needs to be government regulatory bodies saying we don't believe in the legitimacy of your sport. We don't believe in the legitimacy of your outcomes. That's what's at stake. That's a big deal. And let's be clear, it's an open question at this point for exactly the reasons i just illuminate or articulated is it a legitimate sporting event sporting contest if unknown unbeknownst to most parties fighter a has a torn acl coming into the cage fighter b has a broken whatever fighter a got concussed badly two weeks ago you know what if one fighter has staff What if one fighter has the flu? What if one fighter had food poisoning a week ago or the day before? Davison Figueredo, one of his fights with Brandon Moreno, he mentioned like, yeah, I had food poisoning or whatever. This matters. If you're gambling and you're having to examine the integrity of the process, this matters a lot. I don't know what the UFC does about this. Look, maybe the regulatory bodies will be satisfied if the UFC starts enforcing more strict policies about people attached to fighters betting. Maybe. Will that extend to media members? Media members are privy to a lot of crap. A lot of crap. And a lot of them do get, do bet. They do supplement their income that way. I'm going to crack down on that. That matters. That matters a lot. Again, this all matters... And the UFC is going to run up against a really awkward barrier here. The kind of reporting that needs to be done about this. Again, like injury reporting in the NFL is a thing. They have to disclose who's hurt, how much are they hurt, who's who's got an illness, that kind of thing. This is reported. Or something equivalent thereof. Again, sometimes, they, oh no, so-and-so's got the flu when... He was up until 3 a.m. partying and is hungover. Like that happens. But there's still information about so such and such player being messed up, and that matters. And if we're going to gamble on this, the people looking out for the people gambling have to have in, have to believe in the integrity of the process. And let's face it, there is no integrity to MMA's process. There hasn't been for a long time. We've talked about it. It's been part of the sport. How do you tackle this? Well, it's dicey. Because if the UFC is going to start checking on these things in the way they might need to, well, you can't do that to independent contractors. And somebody's not going to take it. And getting the UFC fighters reclassified and recertified at this point, it should be an inevitability. Somebody ought to be looking at this. Because I imagine we're about at the tipping point where the preponderance of evidence shifts from independent contractors to employees. And that's a big deal, too. So we're going to have to see how this plays out. This might have... The UFC bends over backwards to comply with regulation. And I'm not even mad at them about it, for the record. But they do. If... This is one of those things that might have serious consequences. Look, James Krause is already just about excommunicated. That's what we're dealing with here. It might... This might have serious consequences down the line. I don't know that the UFC can fully dodge this bullet. It might only be a graze rather than a full hit, but this is this is too big for them to just kind of put their head in the sand and have Dana White go on, you know, some media platform and call everyone goofballs or idiots or these people don't know what they're doing. You can't do that here. Something's going to have to be done to address this. What exactly remains to be seen, but. We'll keep an eye on this to the extent that you rely on me for news. Please don't rely on me for news. I'm not a... I'm, again, I provide bits of analysis. I talk about the news in the sense that stuff happens, and I think it's interesting. I'm not a journalist. I don't pretend to be a journalist. Please don't rely on me for news. But I am happy to give my opinion, as is everybody else. So, you know, there's that. All right, that right, I've been going for a while. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Alright, nothing new, so... Plugs. What do we got? Last week there was a Damn You Hollywood for the Disney flop bomb cratering on Impact Strange World. Yeesh. That's myself, Alexis Haina, and Zachary Strobel. We get together, we talk about that. I don't know how that thing got made. I don't know how that movie got made. It sucks. Anyway, we review that. This week, Damn You Hollywood on Tuesday for Violent Night, the David Harbour and John Leguizamo flick. I I haven't seen it yet. I'm anticipating having a good time, so maybe the last time for quite a while I have a good time in a movie theater. It tends to be a rarity these days. So, we will review that. If you're interested in my thoughts on movies, you can look up Damn You Hollywood on any podcast platform. Or the, uh, I think it's the W2M channel on like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, if you want to watch it live, if you're so inclined. As for my other work. I cover mixed martial arts and professional wrestling for 411mania.com on the pro wrestling side of things. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. Uh, MLW stuff on Thursday. WWE Smackdown on Friday. And of course the UFC event on Saturday. So tune in for any and all of that next week. We will be back here, same time, same channel. Whenever you happen to get around to listening, we will review UFC 282. We will preview the last UFC event of the year. And on ESPN for that or not? UFC on ESPN Plus 74: Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland. What in the world is this card? Hang on. Okay, there's some good stuff here. Um, What do we got? What do we got? Do we got Jake Matthews and Matthew Semmelsberger. That's got some potential. Ooh, Armin Saryukian and Demir Ishmagulov. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, Sergey Morozov and Journey Newsen. Sergey Morozov has had a rough go of it, but he's very good. Said Nurmagomedov's in action against Said Yakub Kakramanov. Why are you making Don't put those two together. You're making to make me type out one of their names. Why would you do this to me? Oh, what else do we got? Mikhail Oluksaja, considering uh, continuing his middleweight one. We hit another like 15 fights on this card. Hang on, I got to count now. Two, one... I mean, Kennedy and Strickland is not a bad fight night main event, especially for an Apex card. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten... 11, 12, 13, yeah, 15 fights. Uh, Drew Dober and Bobby Green, allegedly on this card. That's not bad. So, there's nothing that, again, if you're kind of a hardcore, you know, Suryukin so and Ismagulov it, is, yeah, that's a sweet fight. There's a lot of uh, miscellaneous detritus here, too, so... <laughs> But we'll preview it next week, so tune in for a full preview. Until then, thank you all very, very much, as always, for listening. I appreciate you. Stay safe out there, as depending on where you are in the world now, think the weather gets dicey, travel gets difficult, and if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I envy you your summer. Stay safe, and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.